Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Massetti marches to his first ATP title in Hamburg. Casper Ruud retains in Gestad. And Naomi Osaka splits from her coach, Wim Fassett. Kim, today is the 25th of July and we are here to catch up on the weekend tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. We are firmly in the awkward middle bit between the end of the grass court season and the American hard court swing. But again, we have had some very exciting tournaments this week. Dominic Team's revival continues. Casper Ruud retaining in Gustad. And of all people, Kim, Bernarda Perra, who had not ever won a WTA Tour title has gone back to back, straight sets victories all the way and has now got two titles in two weeks. I know. I love it when players just suddenly appear again. Just out of the blue. They, yeah, they, they have the, the fortnight of their life. A bit like uh, Bitch has had Admire on the grass, mm. you know, two titles on the trot and just playing like amazingly well, like best tennis of their career. So we will get on to that. Um, it's been a great fortnight for for Pera. A great week for a lot of other players. Got some maiden titles thrown in there. Some off-court news as well, which we'll get on to, um, as well as our usual mm. uh, mailbag. And I think you've got a cheeky path for the court up your sleeve for me as well today. I'm normally not that excited about par for the courts, but I feel like I, I owe it to you because I've got to make up to you because the last one I gave to you was very, very difficult. And I am genuinely excited about the one I've got for you and our listeners this week. And they should all be exciting for you, Joel. <laughs> like, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, okay, exciting, but also I think achievable. Okay. Or at least a lot more achievable than the, the niche one I gave you about WTA Tour Finals in Singapore. <laughs> that, was quite, that was quite specific. But, um, I'll give you that anyway. <laughs> but we'll get on uh, to that on the second half of the show. Let's begin with the past week on tour. And we had Hamburg, uh, ATP 500 event. I think uh, Tennis Weekly, uh, friend of the podcast, Chris, was in Hamburg uh, for a little mm. bit as well this past week. So he's out about traveling, seeing some live tennis, which is great. So we'll hear from him um, at the end of the show as well. Uh, but yeah, we had a first time ATP titleist here with Lorenzo Massetti uh, claiming his first mm. title on tour um and what a way to do it a, you know three setter against carlos alcaraz both you know two very very exciting young prospects on the tour obviously carlos alcaraz being a lot higher ranked and, and a lot more experienced to, to be honest um but massetti was the one that came through uh despite a second set wobble to get his first uh atp tour title mm. so i mean what did you I, I was quite surprised actually that Massetti came through because Carlos Alcaraz hasn't lost uh, a final so no. far. So I, I thought this was his, you know, in the bag. But Massetti, very impressive, de- denied Carlos 
uh, the opportunity to win another title. I know. And all the more surprising, I felt, because Massetti had so many opportunities to win the match in that second set. I think he had five match points. And you really felt that was his that was his moment to win the title. And as soon as he lost that that tie break and it went into that third set, I thought he's just gonna he's just gonna fold here. Alcaraz is just gonna come through. He's got the big game experience. He has you know, he plays to the crowd, he feeds off their energy and um I thought, you know, I just thought Alcaraz was just going to carry on that momentum. So it was really impressive, I think, to see Massetti, despite that second set blip where he had those moments, he was able to shut it out of his mind and keep going in that third set. And he got his opportunity on the on the Alcaraz serve and was able to go on and, and, and win the match and the, and the tournament. And, you know, for me, that was the most impressive thing was that sort of mental resilience he ha- he showed in that third set because I think I think about Massetti Kim and I think always think back to that match he had against Novak Djokovic when you know at the French Open when he was his, you know two sets up and you know lost in five and you know even then there were I think questions over his you know his mental you know toughness and I think that was under the you know the sternness of, of microscopes by Djokovic he's also not he didn't really have a great you know main clay court swing pre-French Open and I think that was damaging his confidence a little bit as well but the fact that he got through to the final unseeded and against Carlos Alcaraz did what he did stopped that fight back potentially happening at the start of the third was really really impressive yeah absolutely I think after losing all those match points at the end of the second set you know he could have Mm. won it in in straight sets but um, to come through and again you know still in that third set and not kind of capitulate which you know wouldn't be wouldn't have been a surprise um I thought that was very impressive uh, especially like you know like you were saying that that match against Djokovic I think is the, the main match that a lot of people remember of Massetti was kind of him really arriving it's like the one memory I feel like we have for <laughs> for Massetti so I'm almost kind of glad he yeah. has given us like an, another memory because he is a player who you know, should be in that conversation and he will be more in that conversation mm. with Alcaraz and with Sinner. You know, he's going to make his debut in the top 50. Granted, it's not, you know, Carlos Alcaraz reaching the, the top five as a teenager, but you certainly look at his game on court. It is such a, it's such an elegant game, isn't it? You know, the single-handed backhand is in that Richard Gasquet, I think, school of single-handed backhands. It feels like a very much a thing of beauty, but his forehand as well, I think, was was very, very... Very, very devastating at times in the in the final. So he's got a great game, and it's it's great to see him put it together. Because I think up to this point, Kim, I think you know, we were a bit like, is he a flash in the pan in the sense that he had that great match against Djokovic, and we know him for that defeat. But now with this win in Hamburg, we know him for a victory. Exactly, and I think you know I, I was expecting after that match at the French Open with Djokovic for Massetti to progress a bit faster mm. on on the tour, uh, but perhaps that's because we we you know we've come to expect players to to speedily make their way up the rankings, you know, as Alcaraz has done. But Massetti up to now, I think he you know reached like three semi-finals, so it's not like he hasn't had you know good results. Are you surprised? surprised that what that he's only just now getting his first title or yeah given you know given he you know had that Mm. you know had that against Djokovic uh you know had that match against Djokovic uh, you know a few few seasons ago now um on on the clay are you surprised we've waited so long since for him to get to his first ATP tour title well he's only what 20 now it's it's kind of dog eat dog Mm. out there so I, I don't I think we do have very high expectations and you know 
basically because of of the current generation you know um like you was just saying Alcaraz for example <laughs> no pressure yeah exactly Alcaraz you know it's just become you know he's just reached top five uh, as a result of this past week on tour there's only two other teenagers since the turn of the millennium who have done that to, to be ranked in the top five as a teenager and that's Rafa and Novak so we kind of come I think like because they're obviously so dominant still we just sort of have such high expectations and it's I think it's unfair to expect too much too soon but I think it's great that Massetti's you know got that title duck off his back now he's managed to like beat Alcaraz in a, in a great final and I think he'll be mm. looking at Alcaraz as someone who He's obviously, you know, inspired by what what Alcaraz has done on the tour in the last like couple of years and couple of seasons, and that'll be what Massetti's thinking. Yeah, I, I want to be where Alcaraz is. That's my goal now. And he's going to be what thirty one in the world. He's he's pretty much halved his ranking as a result of winning this title. So I think, um, you know, he's he's coming through at the right the right time. I I, I suppose he'll be seeded at the U.S. Open if he can maintain his ranking uh, as it is now as well, which will be a big help. I think that that's the, for me the the, the fascinating you know, question for for Massetti now is that it's sort of annoying from his point of view that this has come right at the end of the you know of the the, the you know the clay swing post French Open he would have obviously preferred to have peaked um, you know going into the French which didn't really it didn't really happen and you know for me there is going to you know there are still question marks out there in terms of Massetti how does his game transition from from clay to you know from clay to um to hardcourt because you know the moments we associate him most are are on the you know on the orange stuff so uh you know it will be i think interesting to see how he develops you know he is still obviously very young and there's lots of lots of time there but i think he's got a game that certainly plays well like a sister pass to a, a clay court but for me there's still you know there's still room for him i think to you know, to grow and improve. And I think the hard courts are going to be a real test for him in terms of how good he is on a, on a hard court. Because I think we've seen how good he is on a clay court, but I still think it, there's very much those questions there, sort of like, you know, Naomi Osaka. And we have these, what feels like perennial questions of, of how good she really is outside of a, a, a hard court. Well, I think for Lorenzo Massetti, it's, it's now a question of, okay, you've done this on on the clay but can you go and do it on the hard courts yeah but again i think we're putting too much pressure on mm. on him maybe at, at such a tender age you know oh he shouldn't be a clay court specialist <laughs> i mean that's kind of ridiculous maybe he's because he, you're saying that he's only 20 it, it's gonna mm. like it, you know if he's gonna be serious about his career he will he will know that he will know that he like needs to be more of an all-rounder and adept on all surfaces and I'm sure that he would be working on that so I mean how ridiculous is that though because you've got Alcaraz but also Yannick Sinner's in the same same category and they have got more I would say you know more well-rounded games they've been on the the tour and had more matches under their belt across all the all the different surfaces and how much you think kind of Massetti arguably playing in the shadow of, of both of them do you feel like this tournament has enabled him to come out of the shadow a little bit more or do you think he he's like perfectly fine in that in that shade just going about his business and you know going under the radar a little bit more I mean I think going under the radar isn't a bad thing because you can take the pressure off um, yeah. I mean someone like Holger Rune you know he got to the what did he get to the quarterfinals of the French Open I mean obviously he's in that ca- ca- category of mm. like, young players as well and um 
like he went out in the first round. He went round. out first round here in Hamburg, but I think you know he was kind of under the radar because all the focus was on Carlos Alcaraz. So I mean, I don't think it's a, it's a problem to to be slightly under the radar um, because yeah, if you're someone that's you know, I, I don't I, people res- respond differently to pressure, don't they? So mm. obviously, if you want to be big, you're going to have to deal and play with pressure at some point uh, if you want to be a top name in the game. I do think with with Alcaraz, I think that is something we take for granted and although he obviously finished as as runner-up I do think not in comparison to Musetti and even arguably I think Yannick Sinner as well I think he has the most pressure on his shoulders and it's still very very impressive you know for him to go on and reach the final given that he does have this added expectation given the you know, given the records, given the similarities that are just constant with with Rafa and and Novak Djokovic, as you said, now in the top five as a teenager, last two to do that, I think since this millennium, Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic. I mean, he is still playing Kim some very very good tennis, and for me, he had a very eye catching result in the quarterfinals against Karen Kachanov, six love six two. I I had to pinch myself with 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 that in terms of. <laughs> You know, what, did Alcaraz play well? What what has happened to Karen Kachanov? Um, but yeah, it just shows that Alcaraz is, again, just, I think he's just able to take all of this in his stride and play some seriously good tennis at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, he didn't have, you know, all his results, like the whole week, they weren't that easy as the Kachanov mm. match, but um, he was really in the zone there. And um, I thought also um, Serendolo had a great week, Francisco mm. Serendolo yep. getting to the semi-finals. I think in the race, he's he's like up in the top 20 in the race, so uh, which surprised me actually, but obviously he's, he's consistently getting you know good results uh, across the mm. the tour so yeah good good for him good week for him um and uh yeah i mean Massetti, i think it was bound to come at some point getting his first title um <laughs> so good good you know a good performance from him uh, especially i think you know especially after that second set um i think that was a you know brave for him to come through in the third sneak that break of serve right at the end and clinch the clinch the win so um well done Lorenzo Massetti um I mean let's stay in Hamburg because we had a women's tournament as well going on on the on the WTA tour at you know same same week it was a, a joint event which was which was great to see I, I love the joint events that we get on the tour I mean shame about the prize money though I yeah you, yeah I mean shocking about the prize money uh, I know that this is a 250 for the for the women not not a 500 for the men but I think even still, it wasn't like a 50% of the prize no. of the men. It was a, a much lower percentage, wasn't it, Joel? Yeah, it's huge, huge, huge disparity. I don't think I've ever seen a, a bigger bigger disparity, to be honest. I mean, we know this is a, a common theme, I think, with particularly with, with mixed events, and it's a shame. And I get that you know there, there is naturally going to be some sort of disparity because they're different levels of tournaments. But at the same time, it's just a, an issue, I think, that... We've seen around the tournament, Hamburg is is not, I'm not just sort of singling out Hamburg, but yeah, it was a bit of a shame from, from that perspective in terms of the prize money. But I don't think Kim Bernarda Pera is going to really care one bit. She doesn't give a flying, you know <laughs> what I'm going to say. Because <laughs> she, um, yeah, she's on a 12 match win streak now. Two titles mm. on the trot. Um, I mean, 12 re- straight sets win streak. Yeah, she's um, just amazing um, this past fortnight, considering she hadn't won a, a tour title up till now and she's been around you know for a while she's a name that we're we're quite familiar with but mm. not overly um but yeah she absolutely blitzed the field this week in Hamburg and I mean to be fair you know her 
her opponents throughout the week were, you know, you know, not sort of um highly ranked opponents, I should say, but beating mm. Annette Contefe, the top seed and, you know, world number two, um, that was her her highest ranked uh, you know, victory, uh, if you like, and straight set, six two, six four. So um proved that, you know, whoever she was coming up against, she was the woman to beat this week. And um, yeah, really nice to see. Um and you know, pretty straightforward final, to be quite honest with you. And I think mm. quite emotional actually, because um she and she said this after the match. She dedicated her victory to one of her former coaches who who recently passed away, um, Christian Schneider. So obviously, um, you know, they were very much in her mind and um they had an influence on her on her early career. So she wanted to dedicate this trophy to um to him, which was um yeah, very moving uh, part of her speech at the end yeah and uh, you know it was for me a fascinating final going into it because contivate i know she's you know world world number two but she's not really had that many match wins no. uh you know pre this tournament you know she unfortunately had uh, you know covid earlier on in the season it really i think derailed her you know her momentum you know we think back to this time last year <laughs> she felt like she was just sweeping up every single tournament she was you know she was entering and um you know, since I think I think I was reading since February, she's only won four matches on the tour going into this tournament. So it was really great, I think, to see her just get some mat- get some consecutive match wins, get all the way through to the final, beat Potapova, beat Petkovic as well in front of her home crowd in in the quarterfinals. So it's great to see her get to the get to the final and live up to her seeding. Um, but you put that in contrast with Pera, who just feels Kim she's just on an absolute warpath at the moment um you know she came through qualifying last week won the title now this week in Hamburg direct entry all the way through to the final straight sets you know very easy win I did watch some of the highlights and I did wonder if if Contevet looked a little bit tired in that in that second set um and that perhaps that helped Pera I know Pera is going to be on a massive confidence high with all that momentum as well I mean the only question mark for me Kim is you know with Pera I've got to ask I've got to be devil devil's advocate here how impressive is this because you said about the level of opponents or the level the ranking of the opponents she's played in this in this win streak and I, I understand you know you, you can only beat what's in front of you um but for me I I was I think the for me the Contivate win is like the the icing on the cake in the sense that she's she's proved that it doesn't actually matter who her opponent is across the net she's just ready to play ball yeah I mean like you just said the Contivate win I mean she's world number two but is she really based on current form and, and everything mm, probably true. not so true. you could say that about even the final I suppose however I don't think we should take anything away from Pera because um you know it's, it's two tour titles it's tough to win mm. the title on the tour and yeah I don't think she's suddenly going to go and win a, a grand slam or you know I don't think she's <laughs> I know we're moving on to the hard courts but I don't envisage her suddenly winning uh the Rogers Cup or whatever but you know I think um now she's got you know title duck over again a bit like uh Lorenzo Massetti she knows she can do it it'd be interesting to see how long this form will last because mm. um like we had with you know had Admire before Wimbledon and we've had a couple of these sort of runs from players that they win a couple of tournaments on the trot but then they sort of seem to dissipate and go back to sort of mm. their form prior um and uh you know for whatever reason so it will be yeah it's intriguing to see whether it will withstand the transition onto hard courts 
and how she'll do, you know, because she'll be going back to the States, you know, be playing her her home tournaments. So uh, she'll be she'll be up into the top 60 as well as a result of this. So she's again, she's basically halved her ranking. So she'll be getting a lot more direct entries to things. Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's it's, you know, it's cool. I think great for her that she's hit so much momentum pre going back to the States into the American hardcore swing. I, you know, I'd love to you know, be at the, you know, the tournaments she, she will play in the States because it feels like, you know, I've watched her in the past, um, you know, at tournaments I've been to and it feels like very much she's been on the, you know, the outside courts first on a, you know, at, at 10 a.m. Not really a, an, an attraction, but I think given what she's done over the last two weeks, I think it's going to help have, do wonders for her in terms of, when she does go back to the states and, and plays those tournaments in you know the WTA 1000s in uh, you know in Canada, um, Cincinnati, um, it's going to hopefully give her a bit more of a buzz about her. And I think you know crowds are going to be seeing these results, thinking, "Oh, what's Bernarda Perra about?" And then they're going to go and watch her her game and find out she's got a really, <laughs> she's got an awesome forehand, great serve, and I I don't see why Kim she can't be as dangerous on on a hard court as on a, on a clay court i think if you've got that momentum and, and confidence i just think it, it should just transcend whatever surface you play on and given given her brand of tennis and how it's built i don't see there being that many issues sort of transitioning between between the two of them i think you know i've seen her play great on on hard before i saw her beat Conta at the uh at the Australian Open uh, a few years back. So um yeah, I think it's a it's a great opportunity for Perra to really engage herself with uh, you know the American fans a bit more. Yes, I remember that match Joel. I was I was there for the first set of that Conta match at the AA and I was <laughs> disappointed that Joe lost. You got out early. Yeah, I quit while while uh, yeah, while, while the chips were down. Um but Perra also in good company. It's a great stat. She's um the fifth American female player to win two um WTA titles on clay courts in the same season since 2000 and the other four players are Monica Sellers, Jennifer Capriati, Serena Williams and Venus Williams so it's a great cohort of names to be in their little statistic with so well done Bernarda Perra um good for you and uh yeah we'll see well I'm I mean I'm quite intrigued to see if she can keep the the run going because um yeah she's a you're just wary of had admire aren't you because <laughs> had admire went on that streak and then she did nothing at Wimbledon yeah there's a bit of there's a bit of trepidation isn't there yeah but it's just you know it's very intense couple of weeks I suppose and you probably need a bit of a rest so we'll see what she's doing next but <laughs> I feel like also we're just comparing any sort of streak to uh to what Igor Sviantek has, has just done and, and it's like quite ah uh, yeah it's not as good as what Sviantek has done yeah it does put it into context and it does make mm. Sviantek's streak seem yeah even more yep. amazing which yep. it is so <laughs> <laughs> um I mean let's talk about what we also had on the um tour last week uh we had a event in switzerland in gustard uh out on the clay to atp 250 um we had a very i don't know predictable final i would say uh top two seeds casparud and matteo berrettini uh i mean i want to say predictable as opposed to i don't know yeah like a qualifier going all the way and winning yes. um <laughs> was the defending champion uh obviously matteo berrettini Quite, quite nicely, you know, at home on a clay court as well. Um, and Kasparud came out on top. 
uh, in the three set tussle, four six seven six six two. So he was defending his title, and um, I love this, Joel. He um, has never lost at a ATP clay event in Switzerland. He's sixteen and zero <laughs> on. Uh, what a on niche the- <laughs> reference! What a niche reference! Yeah, um, I mean, he just wants to. I mean, he he should probably ask to move Roland Garros to uh, to Switzerland <laughs> now, basically, mightn't he? Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Outdoor clay, 250. We know that's, that is bread and butter for Casper Ruud. And, uh, and, you know, as a top seed, he sort of, yeah, made his way quite easily through, uh, you know, through the draw. It's quite nice, actually. The, the semi-finals, great semi-final lineup for, for a 250. I think all of, all the semi-finalists, Ruud, Ramos Vinolas, Dominic Team, and Matteo Berrettini, all previous Gestad champions. So, uh, that was quite a nice, I think, quite a nice bonus, I think, for the, the spectators. But certainly the final, Kim, this was just a, I could have told you, I think, the strategy uh, of both the players going into the match. It was like, who can keep it off the other player's forehand the most um, from like from rally to rally? Um, and uh, essentially, that is just how it played out. And Berrettini's backhand, yes, it gave it gave a few more points. I felt than three points than than Rude's backhand. And Berrettini, his forehand, I think it just it just leaked more and more errors as the match get went on, particularly in that third set. And although he started very very well, um, you know, first blood took that opening set. He just sort of faltered where Rude didn't, and I think ultimately Rude's consistency. Even though there were, you know, a couple of moments where Berrettini was very, very close to victory in that second set, Rude's consistency just eventually paid off throughout the whole the whole of the match. Yeah, and Berrettini, you know, was coming in on a, on a twelve match win streak himself, mm. so uh, you know, obviously wasn't was in good form. But I think ultimately, yeah, that consistency just enabled Rude to uh, to wear Berrettini down a six two in the third set. I was surprised though that Berrettini was there, given yeah. you know, he's just come back from um, you know he obviously tested positive for COVID and it wrecked his his chances at, at Wimbledon and. To come back for like one a one off clay tournament um before the the hard court swing felt a bit odd you felt a little bit odd to me i don't know D- did you feel that or 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 would you just do you think he was sort of raring to go just to get back out on the court yeah I, I get what you mean because you know you've just been playing the grass and then um you kind of come back and do do these clay events and what have you i yeah, I feel like if you're really targeting super duper big success on the u s open swing, mm. I would just focus on hard courts personally. But I mean, each to their own. I think Gestard looks like a pretty nice tournament. So a mm. bit of Swiss uh, hospitality, <laughs> and you know he's a former champion, so it's probably you know he's got a soft spot for for this Very event true. as well. I loved what Casper Rude said about um, the well winning in Switzerland. He said um, in his post match interview that you know the Swiss crowd helps me a lot. Everything about Switzerland reminds me a little bit about Norway, except that you pay less taxes here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, obviously that was quite an amusing, um, witty, uh, you know, uh, take from from Kasparud in his interview. But um, yeah, it was a it was a decent final. Really pleased for Dominic Team getting to the semis. Um, you know, I think obviously this is his by far his best his best week on tour since he came back. And I mean, he's had to save a match point in his first round against Hugo Gaston but then managed to get a couple more wins after that, and you know, lost to Berrettini in straights. But I think he'll be. Uh, you know really pleased that um mm. he was able to to get to a semi-finals you know that would have been uh 
a, a remarkable achievement just a couple of weeks ago. So well done him. Yeah, it was his first ATP semi-final since Madrid 2021. And I think what I've loved most about it is the, you know, the honesty and the, the transparency he's given fans as he has gone on this, this journey from what feels like never ending <laughs> defeats on the tour. Uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, at the start of the year, I think he was 0 and 7, uh, to begin 2022 in terms of matches when he, you know, started with his comeback, although all that time ago at the, you know, the Marbella Challenger. Um, but he's really kind of picked up his form over the last few weeks. And it's been a great opportunity, I think, given the lack of all the big names on the tour in these smaller 250 events. And I think that's been a real platform for him to go out there and, you know, maybe the the players he's playing playing against are a little bit lower ranked, but I certainly think that has helped him as well as going back onto the, the challenger circuit. So yeah, it's been great to see him get to the semifinals and just be really honest about it you know because he spoke about how you know it's not just been tough for him but also for his his family and he paid tribute to to getting to the semi-finals to all of the help and support they um they have also put in as well so um yeah it's nice to see that i think honesty and transparency because you don't really get that i feel kim with with comebacks the only thing i'm sort of annoyed about is that it's it's shaping up to be a lot quicker than andy murray's comeback uh you know if you uh, what feels like a you know a few several months ago yeah well quite different yeah I suppose I mean it's always going to be an individual journey isn't it and Mm. sounds a bit cliched but um yeah I think I mean I'm just I'm just really curious with with Dominic team um going on to the the hard course because I I assume he's going to be going off to to the states and whatnot and you know this is two years ago he was he was winning uh the US Open so I'm really curious to see how he'll kind of transition on to to the next step. And I think getting to the semis here will just hopefully be a, a bit of a confidence boost, you know, just, just getting wins, isn't it? It's sort of like a that feeling you get rather than anything too technical. It's just, yeah. So, yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, and the last one we had last week, Joel, was uh, Palermo on the WTA Tour as well. So let's just uh, touch upon that before we move into uh, the second part of the show. Uh, this was a WTA 250 event. Uh, and we had a, well, a, a, a champion who hasn't been a champion for a while because uh, it's been <laughs> five years, almost to the day, actually, that Irina Camelia Begu uh, of Romania has won a WTA Tour title. And uh, she came through against a local favourite, Lucia Bronzetti, 6-2, 6-2 in the final. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Begu was a sixth seed. Uh, she had a, a good week uh, coming through against a variety of names. Uh, again, uh, <laughs> what what I think was the, maybe the... The most pivotal match was that semi-final against Sara Cerebes Tormo. Um, another long Sara Cerebes Most enduring Tormo. match as well. Yeah. <laughs> Ending at 1.40 a.m. in the morning, over three oh, hours long. It oh. was only three six six three six four. Oh, Not even tie breaks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well done, Ben. You, you wanted it to go to tie breaks, didn't you? You wanted to see how Five deep hours into long. the night that could have gone. Well, yeah. Sara Cerebes Tormo does have a bit of a reputation for uh, these long matches. But Begu <laughs> came through and that was worth it because and she didn't have to play quite so long a match in the final uh, coming through in just over an hour and a half over Bronzetti, um, who was in her first final on the tour. So a uh, good experience for her. Yeah, Begu 
getting back up there to uh, I think you know she she's shown you know, good form on on clay before and um, you know she's going to get back up there I think to kind of the top 30 who knows maybe a potential seeding for the US Open I do think she's a bit more she's got a bit more variety in her locker than than Bronzetti and perhaps that helped her in the final because you would have thought the the physical fatigue ba- Begu would have felt having finished so late against Cerebus Tormo and having spent all those minutes on court would have favoured Bronzetti but um yeah it was a uh you know it was a good good win for her and uh, you know for Bronzetti a bit of an odd one you know she was a uh, you know in her you know with her home crowd in Italy I thought that would have maybe helped her in the final but yeah I mean she came through against Paolini in an all the Italian clash of the semi-final after losing the first set six love so I think she was maybe also struggling maybe with some sort of you know physical issues she had also had a long three-set match against Caroline Garcia but um in in the quarters but uh yeah nice nice win for Begu given you know she's been on the tour a while not had a a title to to shout about for for a long time now and um you know to get a win here yeah against a a home home crowd favorite very very impressive yeah and uh, Paolini doing well as well getting to the semis obviously an Italian player as well Mm. um Caroline Garcia I won't mention her too much today her renaissance sort of still going on a bit. She got to the quarters, but lost to Bronzetti. So, you know, make of that what you will, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> when is the renaissance not a renaissance? Oh, yeah, I suppose it just becomes regularity after a while. But, I mean, she's still doing better than she was like a year mm. ago. Um, but yeah, I, one thing that also surprised me about Begu, I didn't realise this. I'm probably underestimating her big time. This was her fifth career title. I didn't realise she had four career titles that that sort of surprised fifth, me fifth singles career title as well i think she's got a f- quite a few more doubles titles mm. um in her locker as well so um yeah she's certainly you know she's certainly you know racked up some some achievements across her career i think you know she has she is her game is quite well suited to you know to clay i think she reached the i think she reached the fourth round of the french open this year or she's been she's been there um before so um she's certainly got experience and knows how to you know pull out big matches and um again i think palermo in front of the in front of a boisterous italian home crowd and having you know three hours 30 minutes to get sara cerebus under your belt she did she pulled out all the stops to to go on and win the tournament yeah definitely um and on that note uh let's take a quick break now but do join us in the second half where we'll be talking about uh news from daria kazakina which you may or may not have seen on social media uh naomi osaka splitting with her coach win and we'll also be looking at all the latest draws for this week's tournaments uh, including Atlanta, Kitzbühel and the Poland Open where Iga Świątek is set to return. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And uh, before we move on to the news segment of the show, Joel, um, it's time for the excitement to begin because <laughs> I think it's uh, par for the courts mm. and you've got a real thrill for me this week. <laughs> I know. I bet our listeners have been just like on tenterhooks since I, I was speaking about it earlier. No. Um, yes, I've got another par for the courts for you and our listeners, Kim, and it is in honour of Lorenzo Massetti. Oh, okay. Hmm, this is, are you sure this isn't another very niche path for the court? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not at all. It is not at all. My path for the courts for you uh, this week is there are now 10 
first time ATP Tour title winners in 2022. And I would like you to name me as many of those as you can. So there are 10 in total. We may or may not have already said one. And I'm going to set the pass score at... I'm going to go... I'm going to go 50%. I'm going to say 5 out of 10. No lives. And there are bro- there are brownie points up for grabs if you can tell me the tournament that they won. <sighs> is that tough? Is that is that tough? Is that too tough? So it's 2022. Mm. We've had we've already had 10 first time ATP tour titleists in yes. this year. Blimey. I didn't yes. realize that. Okay. Um uh... Okay, based on your reaction, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one life. Okay, based on your reaction, I'm going to give you one life. But yes, ten ATP Tour first time title winners in the singles in 2022. Bonus points for naming me the tournament as well. Okay, yeah, bonus points may not come my way, but um, I'll give it a try. <laughs> okay, so there's been quite a few. Re- there's been quite yeah. a few recently. ATP. Okay, right. Let's go for it. Uh, okay, number one, Lorenzo Massetti. <laughs> Correct. Yes, uh, in in Hamburg, of um, course. Well, Hamburg. Yes. Uh, number two. Oh, now this person was his first title this year, or would it have actually been last year? I would. I don't want to go wrong so early, but but Carlos <laughs> Alcaraz has he won all of his this year, or was one like at the end of last year? Oh, I think it was Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, I think it was this year. Kim, oh. you've lost your oh, life no. early on. You have lost your life early on. Oh dear. You're I mean there's a few I'll give you one more clue. There's quite a few clay quarters okay. and oh, clay court tournament winners <laughs> which will give you an idea. Okay, right, so it's not Carlos. Um uh Holger Rune. Correct. Yes. yes. Holger Rune won Munich. Oh, Earlier on this season, um, Felix Ojealiasim, I think, finally won a tournament this year in sort of one of the American hard courts in like February, something, something like that, maybe. Correct. Yes, he did break his duck this year. It was in Rotterdam, though. It was oh, in the okay. indoor indoor confines of Rotterdam. Uh oh, we had so that's three. Um, the start of the year, maybe one of those pre AO titles might have been won by a first timer. Um, there may have been. I mean, there are easier ones. I feel to get. Yeah. Oh. Um, uh, oh. But there uh, may have been. Is one a master series? Is it that obvious that I'm missing? Oh uh, no, because Taylor Fritz has already won a title, so that can't be right. Um, who won Miami? Um. Oh, my brain has just gone to pot. <laughs> oh, I think I'd be, I find uh, WTA probably easier than, um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, must have been a golden swing. So one of the, the Serendolos, that was, um, Serendolo? I'll go with Francisco because maybe Juan Manuel had already won. Correct. Oh, okay. Yes. And it was actually quite recent. It was Bashdad. Oh, no. That's last week. <laughs> Here are 
was me saying earlier, yeah, he's been having some all right results. Yeah, he won a tournament last mm. week. Deary me. And I believe, Kim, in the same week, there was another oh, no. first-time winner. <laughs> That's your final like clue to get week. to reach oh. to reach path for the courts. There was, wasn't there? Oh, no. How am I not getting this? Um... And you're really going to kick yourself because there's a, <laughs> there's a couple. Um, but there's also a quite a couple of quite trickier ones as well. I don't think I'm going to get it unless you've got any clues for me. That's I'm going to give you a countdown. I'm going to give you a countdown. I'm going to give you a countdown. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one. Uh, no, all I can think of saying is like Dan Evans prior to AA. But that was last year, I think. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. Okay, oh, right. So you fought four and out. Is this the four and out? So you've not reached path no, of the courts. I failed today. Okay, well... For you and our listeners, I'll go through the list and I'll... Shall I start with the most recent first? Yes, go, go on. Okay, so we had Massetti in Hamburg. We had Maxime Cressy in Newport. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember now. <laughs> Francisco Serendolo in Bastad. Then we had, and this is going to, I think, really annoy you. Tim Van Reithoven in Sir Hotogenbosch. Oh no, how could I forget? <laughs> TVR. TVR. Um, Sebastian Baez in Estoril. Oh yeah. Holgerun in Munich. Yeah. Um, this one was a really tough one. Pedro Martinez in Santiago. Wow. Yeah, I know. Hats off to our listeners if you got that. FAA in Rotterdam. And the two first-timers uh, at, the, at the start of the season... Uh, do you remember Alexander Bublik beat Zverev in Montpellier? I do not remember that, no. <laughs> do you not remember that? Okay, fair enough. And the pre-AO person was Kokinakis in Adelaide. Oh, yes, because I was thinking about Karatsev and Murray, but obviously Karatsev had already won a title. Mm. But I couldn't, yeah. Gosh, the year's gone fast. I thought that was, I thought that was doable. I mean, you were very close, but the fact you ran out of... Even like valid suggestions know, that wasn't going to embarrass yourself was quite telling. I felt. I'm. I've just. I was mer- in my mind. I was merging. All. I, all I could think <laughs> about was. I know Rafa had a good year. Or who won the Slams? Who won the Masters? Can't remember all the tournaments. Sorry. I'm sure the <laughs> listeners beat me on that one. Um, right. My mind's gone all in disarray, Joel. <laughs> Let's go to the Tennis Weekly mailbag because we had a couple of questions. We've had uh, a few from Mari Suzuki on Twitter. Thank you for getting in contact. Um, first one, Joel, you can uh, lead on this one. Uh, what do you think Darren Cahill's addition to to Sinner's team? Uh, what do you think that will result in Sinner's ranking for the rest of the year or the next few years? Would he close the gap to Carlitos uh, Alcaraz? Uh, would he beat more top five to tens in the world? What's your mm. uh, initial thoughts on that question? I think would he beat more top five? to 10 players in the world yes certainly i think so i think i think sinner has the, the he has the game he's still quite raw I, I think and i still think there's a kind of mental gap in terms of overcoming these you know these players he's looked up to for so long i think we saw that in uh you know at wimbledon against you know novak djokovic when you know he he came very very close pushed him to five sets but wasn't able to to get it done and i do think he is he is like one big grand slam marquee name win away from from kind of the you know pushing on and i i do think bringing darren cahill into his team will help him with that given his 
previous experience with you know very high caliber players and you know Simone Hallett for example and you know molding them into to Grand Slam champions um I I think he will get closer to to Alcaraz I think for me that's going to be uh you know one of the rivalries of the future and I can see them sort of you know jostling for positions I think they're both quite kind of consistent players I think for me Sinner is a bit more consistent at the tour level and I think Alcaraz has I know I get I get I get that you know Sinner has done you know has started to make inroads you know for example he he did so at Wimbledon earlier this year but I think I've seen more you know more high profile bigger tennis from from Alcaraz on the Grand Slam stage and maybe that's something that Sinner will need to work on but I certainly think you know there's 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 room for improvement there with with Sinner and you know adding someone who's got the you know the expertise and the the skills of of Cahill into his 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 coaching setup I think is is going to help him and you know I think for Sinner you know he's a very down-to-earth guy he's a guy who is always wanting to learn and listen and I think having someone like Cahill in his corner that is just gonna he's just gonna absorb all that information and make him a a better tennis player I think yeah I think you know given what Darren Cahill did with Simona Halep like his his expertise and you know experience can only hopefully help Sinner as long as they kind of gel uh, within the team so I would expect him to be getting more big victories and to I still think Alcaraz is is you know kind of I think the ceiling is still higher on Alcaraz at the moment yeah. than Sinner I think yeah. yeah I think you know we're speaking at the moment as Alcaraz as a future number one and I can see that more than I can e- I can see that more even so than like a Sinner being top three for example but I certainly think bringing Cahill in could change the you know change that perception and you know answer that question in the future and I think you know, if if I was in the camp, that would be kind of one of my goals because I mm. I think at the moment the general conversation about Sinner is that yeah he's a very very solid top ten player and yeah I I would put him in the conversation of being a top five player but where's the where's the ceiling because I think with Alcaraz it's certainly higher at the moment yeah we don't want Sinner to be losing from two sets up to Novak Djokovic mm. at, you know at Wimbledon <laughs> again for example um, mm. Mary also had another question. Um, which makes me feel a bit foolish because I completely forgot this player had just won his first title. Uh, Maxime Cressy. <laughs> um, they're asking um, that Maxime Cressy believes he'll be top 10, maybe even number one. Uh, so they're super curious. What do you guys think? Can he be top 10? If so, how long would it take? What else would he need? Would he stay there or is he a one hit wonder? Mm, good question again. I mean, I've just spoken loads and loads and probably waffled a little bit about Yannick Sinner, but I think I can be really direct here, Kim, and say no. <laughs> I, I just think serving volley, it's great for part of the season, but I still think it's quite limiting. And if you want to be consistently up there in the rankings, then I think you need a game that's going to work on all surfaces. And I'm just not sure how much serving volley fits in in today with the you know with the the modern game. Um, I think he'll look at John Isner as you know as a source of inspiration and potentially a blueprint to to reach that that level and I, I you know I don't doubt that that could happen um but for the moment I just think he's on a bit of a, a wave because of you know grass court season you know win in Newport I think there's still I still think there's you know work to be done there to have a bit more variety that could elevate him further um, but I don't until we I, until I've seen that and I've seen 
different results on you know across across the year. I don't feel like I can say yeah he's going to be a potential top tenner in the future. Yeah, I think um, like you said, I think top ten might be a bit ambitious unless he can mm. really uh, diversify his game. And not to say that he needs to lose what makes his game unique, but I think no. he just needs you can add to it exactly, um, and that's going to take a bit of time. But I mean. Stranger things have happened. I mean, I think um, a lot of people maybe would never even have thought like Cam Norrie would have got to the top 10. So that's very true. People can certainly over, not over. Shows what can be done. Yeah. If you really put your mind to it and what have you. So um, no, that's that's a great question. Thank you so much for getting in contact, Mary. And one last question, Joel, um, from (laughs) Kenny Koala on Twitter. The mailbag is in overdrive (laughs) today, isn't it? I know. Um, Kenny is asking, do you think Massetti and Alcaraz will be able to form a good rivalry? I think we've kind of alluded to this a bit already. Um, I know I I think this is a yes. Um, I think that they are... I think that, you know, they're both young prospects, so it makes sense that they would hopefully have a, have mm. a rivalry with their both being up there in the game if Musetti can get his ranking, you know, higher still. Mm. Um, I'm less sold. I'm, okay. I think they can have, I think they can have great matches and I think we saw that, uh, you know, in Hamburg. But again, what I said earlier about Musetti is I feel like we just associate him with moments on, on the clay at the moment and I think Alcaraz has developed a, a game that um you know it works across the, the whole year and for a good rivalry i think to really bed in i think they have to have those matches across the the full tour year and in order to do that we're going to need to see these meetings yes on a clay court but also on grass or on hard or in indoor and as i've not seen enough i think from Massetti for me to think yes that i 100% put Massetti on and Alcaraz on a tennis court i think they'll play great tennis and really thrill the crowd but whether they'll have a good rivalry I think depends on how far and how more how much more Musetti kind of develops his game beyond just being really really um, adept on a clay court. Thanks for all the questions remember the Tennis Weekly mailbag is always open so do let us know if you have any up your sleeve for us and that brings us on to our news element uh, for the week and uh, many of our listeners may already be aware of this news but um, we've had Daria Kazakina uh, come out as gay in a video that she has filmed um, with a Russian blogger in, in the past week it's been doing the rounds on social media um, obviously coming out as a, as a Russian player what with the situation back in Russia uh, with regards to LGBT um, rights this is a very bold move from from Kazakina so I mean what did you make of of her um, announcement Joel? Yeah it was uh, quite brave you know we've all you know, heard all this you know the stories about um, you know Russia at the moment obviously with the war um, you know their right that you know their history with with gay rights as well so this is a very brave move from from Kasatkina and it's one to be applauded you know she spoke about how she just felt that ultimately she wanted to be comfortable you know with herself and I think she just felt that she couldn't do that anymore without kind of announcing this and you know she's a top ranked Russian women's player and to see her come out and, and say something this is so is I think is 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 a sign of the times in terms of you know we've seen in the past I think anti kind of Russian you know messages from from Russians you know for example Andrei Rublev uh, earlier on in the season you know wrote on the you know the the camera stop the violence stop the war you know in regards to the kind of the ongoing uh, Russia Ukraine war at the moment and you know for me this. This is a continuation of that, but this is for me the biggest gesture 
that you know we've seen so far and it is it is brave it is it's it, you know it is scary i don't know for example can she go back and play tournaments in 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 russia and and feel a hundred percent safe it's a very kind of potentially scary top you know scary topic but i think it's so amazing that she's kind of come out and said this given you know all of the stories we hear and all of the potentially future repercussions there there might be yeah i think um i mean hopefully she wouldn't face any sort of um practical or you know difficult situations if she did decide to go back to russia and and play or visit friends and family i I don't Mm. think anything's come out directly in terms of repercussions yet but obviously um she's probably got family and friends still living there so i mean she's obviously decided to to kind of come out and say this is 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 more important to her than you know than living a lie or hiding who she truly is and she said she couldn't live in her skin anymore um without you know coming out so I think, yeah, really bold, brave, brave move. And we just hope that, you know, this doesn't negatively impact in her in any way, because unfortunately we know, you know, we don't know firsthand, but like, it's a very difficult thing, someone from, from Russia to, to do and to say, but she does, she knows she's got a public platform. So obviously the, um, the positive uh, re- repercussions, you know, inspiring others and um, just, you know, getting it out there is hopefully going to be be more worth it and I think that's like where she was coming from so we wish her all the best um and um yeah it's uh, obviously with the situation with the war it, even without that it would be obviously a bold move but with that it just kind of adds mm. another yeah another level doesn't it so um yeah really really brave of of Kazakina um I mean, we've got some other other talking points from the week, Joel, as well, without wanting to kind of move on from a, a very serious topic. But we do have some other, other, I guess, more more direct tennis related um, news as well. Uh, first of all, is that Naomi Osaka has split from her coach, Wim Fassett. Um, They've decided to part ways. They've been together for a couple of seasons. She's won two slams under his um, under his remit, but uh, yeah, decided to go there. They're separate mm. ways. I think um, it doesn't seem a surprise. And uh, I'm mean, just curious to see who will snap him up next because he's uh, obviously a top, top coach. And uh, mm. there's pro- probably plenty of players out there who would love to uh, just start working with him. Yeah, Emma Raducanu. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or Muguruza. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this is very interesting because I think, you know, Inverset is a very proven coach and I wonder if he just got a little bit frustrated with maybe the lack of you know maybe the lack of time that you know Osaka's been you know spending on the tour um I get that you know she's been injured uh you know she had an Achilles injury she didn't play Wimbledon um you know she uh you know lost in the, I think the first round at the French Open as well in May so I wonder if there was a little bit frustration in terms of her you know, in, in maybe in, in his views, being like a, a part-time player on the tour, sort of picking and, and, and choosing a tournaments to play. And he maybe felt like he needed a full-time player that he could, you know, that would be an enjoyable challenge to him. And maybe they felt that it just had run its course. They, you know, have had great memories together. I'll always remember that US Open triumph that, um, you know, that they've had. And um, it's, uh, yeah, just it just um, feels to me like, they've now got kind of different priorities and for Fissette 
I think he'll be looking and ideally would want a player who is going to listen, learn, and again, maybe someone like an Eber Raducanu who just wants to get his insight, all his kind of top, top level knowledge, what it takes to, you know, coach a Grand Slam champion and bring it into their, you know, bring it into their, um, you know, into their coaching setup. And, you know, for me, I, you know, I did, I sort of said Emma Raducanu, but I do think, Kim, it's it would be great for someone like that to bring Fissette on versus a Muguruza who's already been there as a Grand Slam champion. I certainly think the biggest potential, if I was like an up-and-coming player, I think was, yeah, would be to snap, snap up someone like a Fissette who, yeah, has that experience to go with him. Yeah, for sure. I think that would be a, a good move. Um, and yeah, I don't think it's as surprising news, um, as I said, but we'll see what Osaka does. She's uh, I think she's coming back uh, to the San Jose event um, in a couple of weeks. So, you know, she's been out since Roland Garros, it's been a while. Mm. So be curious to see if she can get her, her hardcore mojo back uh, quickly. Do you think she could go coachless? Why not? I, I mean, I honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if she won the US Open. She's won it twice before and she's been out for a while. She could be, you know, come, she could come back with an absolute blast, mm. couldn't she? I mean, or, or she could not. I, it just it wouldn't surprise me either way. <laughs> she's too good a player to like not be able to reach that level again, isn't she? So mm. we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but let's look slightly more short term, Joel. The next week ahead, we've got a couple of tournaments. Um Talking of the US Open swing, we've got the Atlanta event, uh, 250 for the ATP side of things. Um, this draw, I think, is absolutely... It's going to be won by an Australian or an American, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think um, 20 out of the 24 players in the draw are either Australian or American. So there we go. Uh, there's a few others. I think there's a mm. uh, Quentin Howes of France, Ilya Avashka, <laughs> who, you know, well, is technically playing as a neutral, but is Belarusian. Soon Wu Kwon of Korea. And just... Oh, Benoit Pair is the other um, non-US or Aussie. But there we go. Uh, Kyrgios is playing. He's uh, also playing doubles here with, I think, uh, Kokonakis. So that'll be exciting. Mm. Um, and uh, I think you've just put on the notes here, Isner has won this loads of times. Yeah. So yeah. expect him to potentially win it again. It's John Isner's <laughs> to lose. No, uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how... Yeah, Kyrgios gets on. Nakashima as well, Kim. Yeah. I know you're excited oh, like about that. Yeah. I've got Jack Sock there on a wild card. Jack Sock did pretty well, I thought, at, the, uh, at Wimbledon. Um, quite tough opener against Tommy Paul. But yeah, I think that would that could be quite an interesting one to watch. Interestingly, Kyrgios, Kokinakis and Alex de Menor are in this like quite packed like Aussie quarter in the uh, in the top half of the draw. So it'll be interesting to see who come you know comes out of that of those three Aussies. There's also James Duckworth in there. So um yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Nice to see also Kyrgios and Kokinakis back uh playing doubles. And we also have the Kitzbühel event in Austria, a 250 clay surface um tournament. Surprise surprise Kim Kasparud isn't there. He was going to play it, but um, he has withdrawn. Uh, Rabmos Vinolas has taken his place at the top of the, the seedings. And I believe Berrettini was also meant to play, but he has also dropped out. And Griekspor is down at the bottom. We've got RBA, Karatsev. Um, Nicholas Jarry, I notice, is there on a wild card. Uh, another classic from the, the golden swing i mean this feels very very much open given rude and berrettini aren't there so feels like one of these players is 
you know, going to make the, the most of it. Dominic Team on a protected ranking. Who knows? Maybe he uh, you know, fanc- fancies himself going one step further from the, the semi-finals last week. Yeah, and he, uh, playing at home as well in Austria, which is will be nice for him. And mm. I have to say, there's an, a name here I've not heard of. Uh, he's from Argentina. Hernan Casanova. Very exciting uh, <laughs> to spot his name in the draw. I love that. Um, but yeah, we've also got the uh, Umag event uh, out in Croatia, also on the clay. So um, Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner are the top two seeds for that one. And also Holger Rune and Sebastian Baez. So this is where mm. all, and Rossetti's there. This is where all the young guns are playing. Um, so we'll have to see who can fight it out. A lot of good clay court clay court players there with clay court pedigree playing that so that will be uh that will be a fun one to watch particularly with who knows kim alcaraz sinner final is it gonna add to that add to that rivalry we spoke about in the mailbag um but uh yeah on the wta side we've got the poland open in warsaw now kim Igor fiontek is the top seed here Igor fiontek world number one playing a 250 in her home country, to me, this just reeks of shameless cash grab. Not that she needs the money, but um, ah, yeah, number one's playing two fifty events. I I get this in her home country, but I to me doesn't just doesn't sound right. Well, I don't think she's actually played a two fifty for a while. I think it's been three mm. years since she's bothered to play a two fifty. Um, but I mean, you know, she's 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 world number one. She's two time Slam champion. She wants to play at home. Doesn't get that opportunity very often i think she was doing a a ukraine fundraiser wasn't she um Shviontek and friends i think that was in poland uh this past week so she's obviously there at the moment um timed it nicely so i mean i'd be surprised if she doesn't win this one she's by far mm. and away kind of the the highest caliber player in the draw but she hasn't played since that loss at um Wimbledon to Cornet. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, competitively, she hasn't played. So we'll have to see. But yeah, she, uh, uh, who knows? I think you were saying the tickets are actually pretty expensive uh, for yeah. fans, considering it's a 250. From what I've, what I've read, yes. Um, I feel like there may, maybe the sort of organisers are cashing in on the, uh, world number one being there i mean who to be fair who wouldn't when who you've wouldn't? got the you know yeah. the world the world number one and finally we've got the prague open in the czech republic contivate is the top seed and we've got krachikova as well the home hope as the second seed i mean we've got mertens cornet now this is a hardcore event so we've got this yeah we've got a quite of a confusing mix of of hard courts and clay courts going on this week but um yeah it'll be uh another interesting one to see how it does it's just weird i think seeing the, the top two both playing 250s pre-hardcourt season don't feel like you get that very often yeah i mean uh we'll have to see what annette contivate does obviously reached the final this past week so i imagine she'll she'll be doing fairly well going deep um marie buskova off you know quarter finalist at wimbledon i know this is a uh, on the hard court, but I think she could be in a in for a good week. So uh, it remains to be seen. We'll be rounding it up again uh, this time next week, as usual. Um, but we uh, we do have a couple of little other updates, uh, little other episodes coming out in the meantime. Um, so lots lots going on in tennis weekly world at the moment. Yes, I know. And listeners, I, if you haven't already, we recorded our latest book club episode where we were spoke with. Daily Mail tennis correspondent Mike Dixon about his book Emma Raducanu When Tennis Came Home so it'll be in 
your platform provider of choice. So just scroll down, and you'll be able to listen to it. Really, really interesting insight into Raducanu and her approach to, to tennis and how she grew up to become a, a US Open Grand Slam champion. So uh, I do recommend that if you've got a spare hour or so. A um, couple of other updates. We are now, Kim, excitingly, we're now on YouTube. The channel is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major podcasting platforms as normal. But we're now on YouTube. So if you just search Tennis Weekly Podcast, you'll be able to find us and subscribe to us. Episodes are going to be going out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify first. So that's where you will get them first. But we will be uploading to YouTube as we go. And finally, we have got Chris who is in Hamburg, or he was in Hamburg for finals weekend, and he's going to be doing his latest Tennis Weekly Diaries after the end of this episode. So make sure to listen to the end. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris, for being yet again our eyes and ears (laughs) on the ground. I don't think he'll be doing, well, I don't know how much more tennis travel he's got lined up for the rest of the year, but... um... Oh, don't worry. I'll make him do, I'll make him do lots more. Oh, great. All the the 250s. (laughs) He's going to go to Warsaw this week. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um... (laughs) No, I mean, I'd, I'd love to go out there and, and see mm. more tennis. But um, yeah, uh, anyway, uh, we'll be back in a week. So thanks for listening, everyone. And um, yeah, hope you enjoy our other episodes in the meantime, as we in- very much enjoyed uh, recording them. Yes, listeners, make sure to listen to our other series. But we're going to be back next week with our latest tour catch up. Remember to subscribe to Tennis Weekly on whatever device you listen to us on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Um, You can also email us uh, via TennisWeeklyPod at gmail.com so if you've got any feedback thoughts queries questions for the mailbag let us know on social media or email um you can check out our website as well www.tennisweekly.co.uk and we will be back next time at tennis weekly hq for our latest tour catch up so i hope you can join us for that but in the meantime it's goodbye from kim goodbye and it's goodbye from me we will see you again soon Hello, this is Chris reporting from Hamburg. And as Kim said last time, I am making a bit of a habit of visiting and scouting out these European tournaments. And this week, I'm going to give you the lowdown on the Hamburg European Open. So unsurprisingly, that's in Hamburg, and it's an ATP 500 and a WTA 250. Um, The big names are on the list, as I'm sure we've discussed in the episode... Uh, Carlos Alcaraz was there, Rublev was playing, and for the women's side, it was the world number two, Annette Contevate, headlining the women's. And it's the second time they've hosted a joint tournament. Uh, They hosted it for the first time as a joint tournament last year, after having a big break. I think the last time uh, it was held was in the early 2000s, and Kim Kleisters won it. So it's been a big break. And something that's really nice about it is the fact that it is a joint tournament and they actually market it and advertise it as 
having a Grand Slam feel because of the mixed nature of the tournament. And I went with a pal from Copenhagen uh, who wasn't necessarily that, uh, well, hadn't experienced that much tennis before. And I think that makes it a really great tournament because you are seeing both men's and women's doubles and singles. So I would highly recommend it to anybody who is looking to see both men's and women's, which is quite rare in some of these tournaments, especially kind of at the 250 level. So again, um, that is great for anyone who is new to the sport. It's also great because it is pretty accessible when it comes to pricing. So we had semi-finals. Uh, men's tickets which also covered the ladies finals and that was 75 euros which is 60 pounds um, which is pretty reasonable considering you get four matches uh, two finals as well as two of the men's semi-finals at ATP 500 level um, and also including that sit in that prize is actually a, a city pass travel pass um, and that's something that's a nice bonus but also it's very easy getting around the city in the summer months, they have free, uh, transport for the entire month is just nine euros. So if you are coming, then it's super easy to get around, super affordable. Um, as far as the site goes, there are three show courts and you can purchase a ground pass or you purchase a stadium ticket. The site isn't that big, uh, but the crowds are pretty big. It takes place uh, in the sort of the northern side of the, the city at the Am Rothenburg, Rothenbaum, I should say. Uh, arena and that's the largest tennis stadium in Germany and that has a capacity which is pretty high I think it's about 13,000 people Um, and the site isn't that big so uh, I would caveat that although it is um, a great uh, stadium itself it's the it's the one with the roof that's how they market themselves on Twitter Um, and that's the one which has the the roof that can go it's almost like a dome a canvas dome that can extend out to cover the court Um, but in case there's bad weather. So you are guaranteed play, which is another reason why it's a great tournament to attend. But it does house a lot of people, which means that there are long queues around the side and you are a bit sardined in in between sets and in between matches. So that's something I would mention, that it's not necessarily the most laid back. I mean, Rome, for example, is a a very big site and that's not a problem there at all. And a few of the other places um, that that I've been to the tennis, it's, it's quite a different feel. You are... Um, rather boxed in but um, still the atmosphere is very relaxed and very nice so that's a small small caveat to what is um, a great facility especially the main stadium where we had seats for so for the women's singles which was the first match that we saw uh, we saw Bernarda Pera who was fresh from her title run in Hungary it was her first tournament she's now a certified clay court specialist and I was expecting Contevate to come through in that one um, I think most people were. I hadn't seen much of the matches that Pera had played prior to this, but it was clear from the off that she was and has been going after her shots and she was way further up in the court and she was playing first strike tennis and she was getting that strike in early in the points and Contevate was playing a pretty um, defensive game. And I think most people who've seen Contevate play especially at the end of last year, under Terzanov, who previously coached Sabalenka, she was becoming much more aggressive again, which is where she saw some of her earlier career success, rather than being a counterpuncher. And under kind of the new guidership of, of Torben Belts, her coach who was there, I actually texted Joel because I thought that was a scoop. It was definitely announced everywhere in, uh, in uh, June. So not a scoop, but Torben Belts, um, after Emma, the Emma Raducanu split, is now coaching Contivate. 
Um, it's hard to see what he's trying to achieve there because she wasn't being that aggressive and she was allowing a player who shouldn't really hit her off the court to hit her off the court. And um, it's also kind of surprising to see kind of a top player playing in this sort of quite strange clay period between now and the US Open Series starting. But great to see a player as highly ranked as her at a tournament. Um, so kind of, uh, well, uh, local to to kind of Central Europe. Um, and then I would say in that match, it was a, it never really got going. If, if I have to be completely honest, it was a 6-2, 6-4 result, but it was 6-2 and looking like it could be 6-2, 6-1, 6-2, um, which would not have been a particularly close one, which was a bit of a shame, but I was very impressed with Perrin and, and what she was able to do. I hadn't seen much of her. I think I saw her last play in 2018. Um, I watched the Conta match uh, where she got knocked out in the first round. But it was interesting because in Wimbledon, when Torben and Annette started playing, t- uh, working together, uh, that was the first round. And Annette Contevet came through 7-5, 6-1, and this time she lost 6-2, 6-4. So it's not exactly showing progress, but it was a it was a very entertaining match, and there were some gaps of how hard Perry was hitting the ball. But it was great to see someone go out there and go after it and get a great result. So um, Contevet, I think, is playing in Prague next week, and that's on the hard court, so it makes a bit more sense. But now on to the men's with the uh, ATP 500 side of things, and the first match we saw was Sarandula, who I'd seen previous in the previous week at the Nordea Open win the title. So I was looking forward to seeing him play again, and Massetti. And Massetti really was a bit of a surprise package this week. I think we've all been surprised by kind of how well and consistently he's playing. He hasn't necessarily put together those results this year. Uh, he was very impressed. It was measured. It was um, uh, very percentage tennis. It was very smart tennis. And I was very impressed with the way he was playing. Um, I mean, now we all know, and we have seen this previously, he's not necessarily a closer. Uh, and I think we all know that from the final now. But um, yes, that did get pretty tight there when he was serving for it and he didn't convert on the match point he had. But slightly disappointed in Serendulo uh, because I felt he made a lot of mistakes and he was quite frustrated with himself and he wasn't able to lift himself out of that. Um, he's played a lot of tennis and it felt like it was a bit of sort of mental fatigue in that sort of situation. Um, but again, it's great to see Massetti playing well and get another sort of top junior who's also performing at a really high level. Um so that's fantastic to see. And then the second semi that we uh, that we saw was um, Carlos Alcaraz versus Alex Mulkin, who, again, I was very excited to see both of these players, particularly Carlos, given the season he's putting together. Um, and my main takeout from that was I was so impressed with the level of Mulkin that he was playing at and the way that he was moving and hitting. But Carlos is making quite a few mistakes that are kind of uncharacteristic based on the matches that I've seen from him previously. That was a very, very tight first set. Um, which went to the tiebreak, 7-6 to Carlos. And then, unfortunately, the second set, he did run away with it. But that was probably the most entertaining and kind of highest quality tennis that we saw, which was the, the first set of that match. But it was um, great to see Mulkan as well, obviously coached by Marin Vida. And that's a relationship that seems to be going very well and going from strength to strength. But overall, I mean, it's great to see a tournament where the young players are really performing well. Um and I saw something on tennis Twitter, which was saying that the different generations have been playing uh, the Hamburg final. I think it was three years ago. Uh, the two players were born in the 80s and born in the 90s, then now kind of born in the uh, early 2000s. So I'm not sure what that means for next year. It would have uh, teenagers winning. But 
Um, no, it's great to see kind of the new talent, especially kind of in a city where uh, you wouldn't necessarily see all the big names always um, playing in Hamburg because it is in that slightly unusual period of the calendar when it comes to tennis. But as an overall kind of feel of the tournament, it is relaxed, it's affordable, it's accessible, it's great if you're new to the sport and you want to see both men's and women's tennis at the same venue, at the same location. And it's quite a unique ticket to be able to see the women's finals and the men's semi-finals of an event all in the same location, especially kind of uh, in Europe and, and not at a Grand Slam. So that is very unique and I think it makes it well worth a visit. Um, and yeah, I'm making a play with these tournament reviews to become the official Tennis Weekly uh, tournament correspondent. I think the next one I'm eyeing up is Stockholm in October. But you never know, I might pop up somewhere else. But I, I could not recommend it enough as a tournament if you want to see both men's and women's tennis um, and see some, some really great matches. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.